and we're on air. There we go. Let's press that, that play button. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, I'm Eugene McFadden. In a slot they've given me, and as ever, it's going to be me getting my timers wrong. Today we're Alex, who is on Twitter as at TOD underscore London. Uh, he's a teacher of the deaf, and we'll be talking about what that entails, and it does entail an awful lot. We'll be discussing any of the current, well, we will not be discussing any of the current Twitter arguments. So This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Ah, there we go. So yeah, we will not be discussing any of the current Twitter arguments. So no worries to sex ed or any cultural nonsense uh, that is being pushed. None of the oh, probably will not mention Gary Lineker either and the BBC's like complete double standards and that sort of thing. No, it's gonna be a nice, sensible show about what it is like being a teacher of the deaf and maybe a little bit about what it is like teaching primarily SEN as your main role as a teacher. So, let it within the mainstream environment. Um, so Alex, we're gonna have some technical difficulties but he should be joining us in a few minutes i suspect he's managed to leave his phone and other things at home well not at home at school i know when you're a teacher pretty much school is home sometimes certainly for me but there we go um this show is brought to us in partnership with john cat educational a leading publisher of books direct directories educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out the latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncutbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Hmm. I do like John Cat. I do occasionally go on there and have a scan and look at different things. My next thing to buy probably is going to be the culture responsive teach culture responsive teaching the brain by. Uh, is that Yvette Jackson? No, it's not. It's either a forward. Um, it's looking at how teaching actually indicates... Well, teaching. Oh, look, Alex has turned up. How teaching actually shows... Hello, Alex. The culture in a school actually impacts upon the young people's brains and how they're able to engage with learning or not. Um, so Alex is now into the studio. Alex, you've got to press the button where it's like, call in. Have you done that? Nope, not done that yet. Ah, I can now invite Alex in. Send your invite. Alex and our speaker. Alex, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I heard a cup going down just then. <laughs> was it a Hello. cup or was it a glass? Uh, it wasn't anything. I don't know what that was. I do oh. have a glass of beer here, though. Oh, I am slightly jealous. I um, have given up alcohol for Lent. Um, which... Oh. How's that going? Um, yeah, it's going. I mean, I, I, got, I, I didn't realise how much on a Friday night like, I like to come home and have a glass of wine or a beer, mm. but I'm now not doing that, so that's good. That is healthy. And I guess I'm oh, saving money 
in some way. Um, I should probably do the same thing at some point, but I don't want to. I know, but you are far younger than me, and your joints probably ache less in the morning. Probably. They still ache, but probably less. Probably, yeah. Well, there you go. So wait till you get up. Don't worry. Um, so you are a teacher of the, de of the deaf. I am indeed. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, oh, some people may have an idea what that is, and some people probably don't have an idea mm -hmm. what that is. Could you kind of sum up what a teacher of, of the deaf is? Sure. Um, it's quite a varied thing. In essence, there are um, three sort of protected categories of specialist teachers for um, children with sensory impairments, which is not my favourite term, but it is the official one. There are teachers of the deaf, um, teachers of children with visual impairment, and children uh, teachers of children with multi-sensory impairment, so that would be um, deaf-blind children. Um, teachers of the deaf tend to work in four or five different settings. Um, most teachers of the deaf are peripatetic and they work for normally the local authority. And yeah. in theory, well, not in theory, the, um, the teacher of deaf works from naught to 25, uh, so from birth to 25. So you could be visiting parents and children um, once they've been diagnosed, when they've had their newborn hearing screening. Um, you would also, in a lot of cases, most deaf children attend mainstream schools. Um, so the peripatetic teachers of the deaf would go in, uh, conduct special assessments, advise um, the mainstream teachers in the school how they can be deaf aware, um, adapt yeah. resources, advise um, the students and young people about various things. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's more so that they do, but I'm not a peripatetic teacher of the deaf, so I am less familiar with them. So I've, I've worked with peripatetic teachers of the deaf um because uh, I've, I've worked with you know deaf children um and they've also supported communication support workers in mm -hmm. the development of that provision as well um as well as that kind of training and that kind of like it's a very being aware of the peripatetic role it's a very complex role and you end up mm. often what i've seen working quite closely with the family of the young person you're working with as well um yes um, and particularly for newly diagnosed um, children, young people, whether they're sort of newborn or whether they get diagnosed later in life, um, I would imagine it's similar with lots of disabilities, but a lot of, I suppose particularly parents kind of go through a sort of grieving stage in some ways, um, for the child they yeah. thought they had isn't the one they've got, um, and there can be a lot of sort of adjustment. Uh, most people know very little about deafness, um, so obviously have to, you know, educate the parents about what it means, what it doesn't mean. Um, sometimes they get given not so great advice by medical professionals and other people about, you know, there are some misconceptions around, they're a lot less than they used to be, um, which is good, but there are sometimes strange things said about using sign language and spoken language and things like that, um, which takes the death. Oh, yeah, I've heard. Alex, you said you're kind of breaking up. I don't know if that's me or you. Um, it's probably me and the way I've rigged this up. Ah. Um, ah. I don't know what I can do about that. Um, am I still breaking up? You were fine, you were fine a minute ago. Oh. I'm pushing button. It could be me. Um, am I any better now? How about now? 
You are a bit better now, I think. Okay, I think it's because the app popped up saying, oh, please like the show. And that was too much All right. for computer um, Oh dear. Has it just like had a bit of meltdown? Um, it seems all right now. Ooh. And you've um, gone. Oh. I'm still here. Any better now? There's no sound. Oh. Hmm. I wonder if I... Oh, there we go. Alex, I can hear you again. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, I'm still here. Make sure I can read that. So, yeah, that's good. I'm not sure what happens, but I'm glad it's working. Yeah, it is. It's just a bit... But, you know, I'm sure the people that kind of, like, listening to these things will fix it and make it sound twisty. Um, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I will. I'm calling in in a slightly strange way, because I very foolishly left my phone at school and arrived 10 seconds after the automatic doors had closed for the weekend. So, oh. it is a bit bizarrely rigged up, as I have not. Yeah, um, but no, I, I appreciate you kind of like tuning in to do this. I am just going to, um, in a, what I'm going to do is if you try and log out or come out and come out back in again, um, that may fix it, and I'm going to play the news, which will give us this show a few is minutes to do that. With John Educational, there we go. A leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools Week reports the government is set to offer overseas teachers who come to England to teach languages or physics a £10,000 relocation premium under a new trial. The premium would be open to both trainee and established teachers working outside of the UK and would be paid at the end of their first term. Under the plan, there would be no need for the money to be paid back. The Department for Education said the trial could support up to 400 people to relocate, with the full cost adding up to £4 million. According to recent data, secondary school teacher recruitment targets have been missed for all but one of the past 10 years and last year they fell short by 40%. The pilot for this new programme will run in the next academic year. In strike action news, industrial action has been suspended by NEU members in Wales. The action is halted whilst a new pay offer is considered. In a statement reported on a range of media platforms, NEU leaders in Wales said that following discussions with the Welsh Government, a new revised and fully funded pay offer will be put to members. The planned strike for the 15th and 16th of March will now not take place, although these dates remain for action in England and will continue to go ahead as planned. The revised offer for those teaching in Wales is said to be worth a total of 11.8%. The offer will be voted on by members of the NEU in Wales via electronic ballot. NEU leaders Dr Mary Bowstead and Kevin Courtney 
thanked the Welsh Government for the constructive approach to finding a resolution and contrasted it with the behaviour of Gillian Keegan, England's Secretary of State for Education, who they said was preventing talks in England by refusing talking to ACAS. Teachers in Scotland, who are members of the EIS union, have also voted to accept their latest pay offer. This will see a 7% rise backdated to April 2022, a further 5% next month and another 2% in January. NESUWT members in Scotland have yet to vote on the offer. Student loans are back in the spotlight after changes to the system. Channel 4 reports that student loan repayments will rise for those in the next cohort of students in England, as the repayment threshold is to be dropped. The government has said this makes the loan system fairer for taxpayers and students, whilst education experts say it will make low to middle income graduates worse off. Current students will only make 9% repayments when they earn over £27,295 a year, or £2,274 a month, or £524 a week in the UK. However, if you're starting an undergrad course or qualify for an advanced learner loan on or after August the 1st, 2023, those students will pay 9% of their income over the lower threshold of £25,000 a year, 2,083 a month or 480 per week. Students on the new plan won't be expected to make payments until April 2026, but the length of repayment is also changing. Current students pay until the debt is cleared or for 30 years, but new students will pay until the debt is cleared or for 40 years. Full details of the changes plus comments on the impact many believe it will have can be found on Channel 4's website and all data has been subject to the outlet's fact-check system. Finally, a writer who wrote a book on the topic of online misogyny has given an interview to The Guardian. Laura Bates wrote Men Who Hate Women, The Extremism No One Is Talking About, and it was published in 2020. In the interview, she raises concerns about the widening gap between generations who have never known a world without the internet and those older generations struggling to understand and keep up. She talks in particular of the impact this is having on what she describes as the millions of girls who are realising the impossibility of escaping from harassment, revenge porn, deep fakes and the difficulties in navigating a world online. Bates sees the problem in its broadest form, not just an issue with influencers like Andrew Tate. In fact, she says she wasn't even aware of him until last year. This, she says, is worrying in itself as there is a danger that the well-intentioned coverage will only boost his profile and that if and when his influence wanes, many will think it is a case of problem solved, when actually the problems and attitudes that give rise to people like Tate will continue. Full details of the article can be found on the Guardian website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. And there's the news over. Oh, wait a second. Isn't it else? You... No, that's the news over. Excellent. So Alex is back in the studio, I think, theoretically. Is he back? He needs to start. He needs to like ring in again or like press that button and hopefully have a far better like connection this time. Um. So for those of you who just tuned in. Ah, there we go. Invite. Alex, say something. Hello. Am I any better this time? Anything? Oh, that's better. Is it? Oh, fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. So we were discussing you being a teacher of death and 
you yeah. are a one attached to a mainstream school. Um, yes. And what does that involve? Um, so we talked about teachers of the deaf who work peripatetically, which is most of them. Um, others work, well, some work for cochlear implant centers in hospitals, not very many of them. Others either work in deaf schools or mainstream schools with a resourced provision, which is what I do. So mainstream schools with a unit attached, um, similar to autism or speech and language and other specialist provisions you'd have. Um, and what do I do? So some of the same stuff as the Perrys. Um, so deaf awareness for the whole school and that kind of thing. Um, there's uh, specialist curriculums that we do. There's one called like personal understanding of deafness. So making sure uh, the young deaf person understands their deafness, understands their rights, their entitlements, understands their own equipment, um, maintaining their equipment. Uh, lots of specialist assessments, which are normally language focused. Um, specialist teaching, so we do some withdrawal teaching, pre and post teaching of what's being done in the mainstream. Um, and then normally some support in lessons as well. So we'd overlap with um, CSWs, communication support workers. So for kids who sign, we'd be interpreting the lessons, we'd be adapting. Um, the content and the resources um, and kind of plugging any gaps that we know, uh, excuse me, that we know our children have um, that they would need for what they are trying to do in the lesson. Um, so do you have, uh, are you, uh, are you sign language trained? Um, yes, I am about level four. I want to do level six, which is kind of the highest you can yeah. go. Um, yeah but that has been delayed until I do the mandatory qualification. Um, so teachers of the deaf, teachers of multisensory impairment and teachers of visual impairment have to do a master's level qualification. Um, it's mandatory and you have to do it within three years. We have to finish it within three years of starting as a teacher of the deaf or any wow. of the other. I wasn't aware um, of that. Yeah, it's the only, as far as I'm aware, it's the only kind of specialist teaching that requires it. Um, only teach to the deaf MSI and visual impairment and it's been around since about 1908 I believe I'm also one of the oh, wow. only countries that does it other countries of course have teachers of the deaf but they don't have the mandatory qualification and then there's a whole separate set of standards that are part of the mandatory qualification that we have to uh, live up to improve on top of the regular teaching standards that sounds like a massive boulder of work. Um, it is. Everyone I've spoken to who's done the mandatory qualification, even those who've done PhDs and other things, say it was by far the hardest thing they've done. So I'm looking forward to that in September. And that's on top of being an ECT, isn't it? Uh, yes. Well, that's to be decided. I might not be an ECT in September. I might be. Oof. Okay. And then obviously you also uh, do work that feeds into EHCPs. Yes. Um, so generally we chair, well, for all of our deaf kids, we chair the annual reviews. We do all of the assessments for the annual reviews. We write reports for the annual reviews. And in some cases, depending on the local authority, just write the EHCP for them or amend the EHCP for them because they don't do it or they do it wrong. Yes. Well, yeah. Um, Which I know you've got experience with. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. But for those who are listening and don't know, understand how much paperwork is involved in the EHCP, it is a lot. Um, so how do yeah, you, how do you get into this? It's about 40 pages at least. Yeah, I mean, that's just the actual, yeah. I mean, Cornwall's got it down to about 28, but the issue mm. is you then have like all the kind of other information you need to refer to to fill in all the boxes correctly. Um, yeah, I think 40 for me would be overall because we write a teacher of the deaf report, which yes. feeds into everything. Um, audiology stuff, specialist assessments, um, all of the kind of reports from mainstream teachers. Um, ooh, there's got to be other stuff in there that I should probably remember. I've just done a load. Um, but yeah, yeah, a lot of paperwork. Oh, so much. And then, yeah, and you get into the whole kind of wrangle. Although I am vaguely excited about the, what was it published uh, a few mm. days ago, the response to the green paper, like, here's yeah. our plan. Um, I don't know, Online I mean, I'm vaguely excited. The same. Yes, as someone who has transferred EHCP paperwork from like a different authority mm. to my current authority, it's, it's several times from different authorities. It's really interesting to see how differently everyone lays things out. Um, yes. And even getting them to transfer, I think it took us three years with one kid who moved out of the oh. borough and moved back in. Three or f- yeah. uh, might have been five years, but it was the majority of the time they were with us um, that EHCP was in the wrong place. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's just It's so bad sometimes, isn't it? It's just like, oh. But hopefully, with the new the new drive mm. from on high, they will uh, standardise everything, everything the same. And even, and the, the thing that either makes me excited or worried, depending, <laughs> probably worried, is you're dealing on a line or the additional funding. Because you know, yeah. everyone everyone calls them slightly different things and equal to a slightly different amount. Um, do you think they're going to align them upwards? Uh, uh, I would assume not. Um, nah. And particularly when I'm, your um, episode before on EHCPs and um, I've forgotten her name, but the woman who'd kind of been to panel a few times and you'd been to panel, the sort of oh yeah, purely decided on vibes rather than evidence. Yes, yes, oh, I is so. Yeah, have you ever sat a panel? I haven't, but it's on my to do list. Having uh, listened to your podcast, yeah, no, it's very interesting. I I tend to um. Unfortunately, Cornwall's now moved to purely, it seems, online panels. Um, okay. I think purely because of like, well, maybe, maybe they're going to move back to like actual in person. Of course, the danger of that is I'll rock up and like actually like start sharing things from the gut from the sidelines and they can't mute me. Um, maybe that's why they went online to stop the heckling. Possibly, possibly, and I know you know they don't want to, don't want to get me back. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, EHCPs are. I remember, I remember, I mean, I feel really old now. God, you must have been a lot, you must have been about 10 when statements were around. Um, when did they change? They were definitely statements when I was in school. Yes, were they statements when I first started working with kids? I don't know. Uh, I think they've all, I think they might have just transitioned. 2012. Oh, God, 2012. I feel 20, no, 20. I think this, because, oh, God, it's a bit of a blur now. Like really young kids who didn't sleep. Um, I'm pretty sure it was like from 2012 to 2014 was that kind of changeover period. Um, 
bit yeah, of a blur. That sounds about right, because I think I first started working with Deaf Children and Resource Provisions in 2016. And um, yeah, I think they were all EHCPs, but it was relatively new then. Yeah. Um, so how did you get involved in this, uh, this aspect of the game then? Um, sort of by accident. So I, I knew sign language before I did my undergraduate and before I did my teacher training. Um, and then when I finished uni, I'd sort of faffed around, hadn't applied for teacher training. So I was looking for um, TA jobs in English because that was what uh, my undergrad was. Um, and I think I was looking in November, maybe. So I'd sort of missed the boat on a lot of them. And there's one that popped up that was um, working with deaf children in resource provision in a primary school. And I thought, I don't really want to do primary, but the deaf bit sounds fun. So I did yeah. that for a year. And I was like, oh, I really should do secondary and I should do English because that's what I want to teach. Uh, and then I saw another CSW job in a resource provision in a secondary school. I thought, oh, I'll do that instead then moved from that secondary provision to the my last one, um, which is the school I now work in. So I was a CSW there before, went off, did a PGCE, taught English for a bit. Then they had a vacancy for Teacher of the Deaf. Um, and there aren't many, well, there are at the moment, actually. There are quite a lot of vacancies, but there aren't very many roles. Um, there's only about a 1,000 of us in the country. And I think there's wow. 300 and something who work in resource provisions. Um, so, yeah, I took the job and moved just after Easter last year. So I've been in role for about a year now. It's quite a, yeah, that's quite an interesting kind of journey because it's, it's such a necessary but quite specialised aspect of education. Mm. Um, yeah, most people have never heard of us. Oh, right. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, but then... Yeah, so it's funny because within my background has always been SEN. Mm. And I was primarily an SEN teacher for like, God, 12, 12 years, 10 years. I'm not quite sure. Again, a bit of a blur. Um, and mm. Yeah, I mean, I've been basically in mainstream about seven years, getting on for maybe eight now. So, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've been teaching about 20 years. So, yeah, there <laughs> we go. Oh, God, I feel old now. Um, wow, really old. Um, yeah, so I was aware, but then you forget that. If you're not, if you get that, like if you're in this bubble, the SEN bubble, and the things mm. you know in the SEN bubble, maybe the average like mainstream teacher is not aware of these things if they don't come across it. Um, yeah, well, in my in my last school, which when I was teaching English and I was a mainstream English teacher, um, <laughs> there was a deaf student that I didn't teach um, who did get visited by a Perry Todd, teacher of the deaf. Um, mm. But then when I was sort of talking to my friends and colleagues that I was leaving to be a teacher of the deaf, um, none of them had heard of it, um, so I had to explain. Well, this is what we do. This is yeah. our job. It's, it's like it's like teaching, but like it's a kind of weird thing between being like a teacher and a senko at the same time. Um, there is an element of that, yeah. Yeah, and you're senko in for your little cohort. Um, how? Mm. I mean, because I, I I got into a massive wrangle with county a few years ago um, around fun act, actual decent enough funding for a young person um mm. and one of the things we we're looking at was like i want i said i wanted two csws for this child because he needs wraparound csw support but the mm. aspect you can't have wraparound csw support because you've got the csw's got to go off and pre-learn mm. all that vocabulary and part yeah. of that so they can so then they can and then pre-teach them the vocabulary um 
because you've got to learn a specific sign and then, but then you've got to teach them what that sign means and yeah um and there's always kind of like these massive vocabulary gaps within the deaf community because of not having exposure and the young man mm. she was working with was also polish so there's like uh, an additional additional level uh yeah there. i get a lot of that as well a lot of deaf children with eal so yeah uh one of them i think she's english is probably her fifth language her first Oof. language was latvian sign language latvian spoken latvian yeah i think there was russian in there then british sign language then english she also knows some american sign language some international sign language um but yeah for a good number of my kids either english or bso is not their first language um which is an additional complication yeah. um it does yeah oh gone i was gonna say yeah it does especially i mean generally the biggest problem with deafness is language deprivation so there tends to be depending on the background um delayed vocabulary delayed expressive and receptive language because they just haven't had access to it from a good chunk of their lives and um, when you factor in you know however many languages they've gone through um by the time they get to me in secondary school um, I've got kids in secondary school. I've got a kid in secondary school who I'm teaching to read, like the cats are on the mat kind of level. A couple yeah. of others who are 11, but their reading ages and their vocabulary ages are sort of below six years. Um, but then others who are entirely age appropriate or above age appropriate. And that's another that's exposure. Um, mm. You know, and then kind of like that, that kind of that constant, that, that constant drip feed of heard language that they miss out on. Yeah, um, and it tends to be all of, even if they've got great tier three vocabulary, for example, because they've been explicitly taught that, it's a lot yeah. of the tier one and tier two that uh, hearing people pick up incidentally just through life, that unless someone's yeah. explicitly taught them, they don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, I had to learn some because I was working with this young person. I learned some really basic sign languages, like sign sign language, sign language, mm. um, and it was yeah, it was very difficult. I had all my staff, all my TA staff, because part of the issue was I had one CSW. She was off sick. How could we communicate mm. with this child? Um, yeah. So I had loads of my staff trained to a reasonable basic level in order to be like at least able to make some adaptations. Um, yeah. And that's also a huge problem we have is, A, we haven't got enough teachers of deaf. Uh, about half yeah. of them are due to retire in the next 10 to 15 years because of the demographics. Um, yeah. Nowhere near enough CSWs generally, but CSWs who have a good level of sign. Um, yeah. I think my, well, my trust is probably going to look into uh, us teaching sign language um, because we just can't get anyone. I think we've yeah. had job adverts for CSWs up for at least a year. I think we've had one application. Because it's, it's people don't realise, I mean, it's a really intense, stressful job because you're absorbing a language and mm. then you're translating a language, but it's also stressful on your, on your, on your limbs. Um, <laughs> and pe people don't realise that, but it's actually, it's really tiring. You get like RSI. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, it's, sort of the 
shoe on the other foot for deaf kids, they often get hearing fatigue, even if they oh, yeah. primarily communicate orally. They would be very tired by the end of the day because they spend their entire time lip reading and trying to figure out, well, I can pick out a few uh, phonemes on your lips. I know what the topic is, so I've got a list of words it possibly could be. Now I've figured out what that word is, and I have to do that for everything you say all the time, and a lot of it is new, and that's without having vocabulary delays, expressive language, uh, receptive language delays. So then there are gaps. The list of words that they know is smaller, so they can't match the lip reading up because they don't know what word it's supposed to be. Uh, and that's if they've yeah. got kind of good access. The teacher is facing them clearly, not walking around, not facing the board, not standing in front of a window. Um, yes. Very tiring. And then the yes. kind of alternative in sign language is just that your eyes kind of hurt because you spend your day sort of listening with your eyes instead of your ears. And it's a yeah. different type of concentration um, that, yeah, when I first learned sign language, I did an intensive course. So I did, I think it was every other weekend, six hours a day on Saturday and Sunday. And I was exhausted yeah. um, just because I wasn't used to it. And I think, and I think you're, I mean, my, my um, Oh, I was listening. I was listening. I was at a, a thing yesterday. I've just put it down at a conference yesterday, uh, and I was listening to uh, someone whose name I've just completely forgotten because that's just me. Uh, I know what she looks like. Um, she's on Twitter. Uh, she's got Nicole Dempsey. Nicole Dempsey, who is head of mountain rescue at Dixon's Trinity. Um, oh, right. Have you heard of her? I think I've heard of her, but I don't know her or know her work particularly well. Oh, I was really impressed with like what she was talking about. But she talked about how, you know, in, inclusion. Um, she had a, you know that graphic where the inclusion you got the you got uh, equality and equity. You know that one. Yeah. So you got the, you got the three kids looking over a fence, and equality is everyone gets the same box. So the tall kids the same can see properly, and the short kid doesn't. And equity, you've got like the shortest kid gets the highest box. Mm. You know that one. I've never seen that one. Well, she had like a third slide where it was like, why not just take away the fence? <laughs> and I would make life a yeah. lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 give the uh, the shortest kid a really really high like platform that looks really unsteady to stand on because that's fair. Yeah. Um, Until they go tumbling off it. Yeah. Well, this is it exactly. Um, but her thing was like, yeah, equality, equity. What you want to aim for is justice. So get rid of, get rid of that fence. Um, but she talked about interestingly this week I we just had a discussion with an interpreter um, who works with us about how would you sign because there is a established sign for equality there's an established sign for justice but equity depending on the context a lot of the time you would just use the sign for equality because depending on the context the difference might not be that important but in the context she was interpreting it really was important and it was based on that graphic um, so equality is sort of palms down, everyone's equal. Um, equity, she was using the different steps from that graphic. Yes. Oh, and I think people, again, people outside who are not involved in this particular aspect of education don't quite get how sometimes it's really difficult to develop that sign. Um, mm. And then you get like yeah. regional accents as well. Um, well, this is another thing I had on Friday. I was doing a level two BSL lesson with some of my kids, uh, and the first exam they have to do is receptive. So they watch a video that is signed, 
they're assigned questions and then they have to like answer on a form is it a b c or d uh, and this particular person wasn't just using regional signs and this was from the exam board uh, after talking to my interpreter, got put out to the interpreter network, we eventually, well, we figured out it's from one school in Newcastle that nobody uses those signs anymore. They're from about 30 years ago. Uh, wow. But then also we knew the name of the person in the video because the deaf world is very small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, it's funny, yeah. SEN is quite a small world. Um, but so, where were we? Yeah, talking about the Dictionary Academy, Nicole Dempsey, hmm we live in an ableist society and it's mm. so it's so all-encompassing you can't you don't realize how ableist it is yeah um, you don't see it unless you yeah. have to see it yeah yeah and i think mm. uh te i think mainstream teachers who may occasionally have a deaf child in their class don't mm. get how hard it is for them every single day because they just they just not record it yeah they don't get the idea of like walking through a corridor and not having a background noise so therefore walking through a corridor can be actually a bit more intimidating and more yeah. stressful um, yeah i've had deaf kids who've been someone shouted at them because uh they were telling them to move but they were telling them from behind so they couldn't look we didn't know it was aimed at them yeah they started an incident after that um even with kind of slt in the schools i've worked in who in theory have worked with deaf kids for years there'll be something coming up and then the first thing that teachers of the deaf do is, hang on, where are the subtitles for that? Where is this? Where is yes. that? Where is that? And yes, I imagine it's the same with all SEN, but often an afterthought rather than planned into the delivery. And all, none of the things that you do to make things accessible disadvantage the mainstream. No, Having exactly. Having subtitles on a yeah. video benefits everyone, particularly uh, EAL students. Um, one of the things that teachers tend to do which is particularly inaccessible for deaf children is either talk while a video is on um, or say or kind of dictate or say stuff and ask kids to write it down while they're talking deaf kids can't do both yes. they can only yep. do one or the other um and all those kind of things or even especially when i was a mainstream teacher i used to wander around the classroom a lot i like wandering around um oh me too i had to retrain myself would, yeah yeah. can't do that with deaf kids but it also helps everyone else if they can see my lip patterns they rely on them less but it certainly is no detriment and it's probably helpful yeah i think you said a really important thing there about like inclusion not being tacked on as an afterthought but being mm. something that's planned for from the from the core like truly mm. inclusive teaching you know and, and that's what nicole dempsey was talking about that idea of truly inclusive teaching and actually proper inclusion would be no inclusion it's just what you do yeah. you're not trying to do there. anything it's already there yeah so yeah really 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 thought-provoking kind of like uh conference speech she gave i was really impressed with it um do you know so if that's uh, online anywhere if i could watch it um, actually good. actually uh on the mission institute uh she's written a blog uh which is basically a large chunk of the actual speech she gave mm. um and it's just that what i can do is i can actually email it to you um, or WhatsApp you because because you are a badger. Uh, the secret oh, watch, badger. You watch. Confirmed you are badger. A badger. Confirmed badger. Um, for those of you who are listening, like what the heck's a badger? Um, we're not quite sure we be... are anymore either. Just, yeah, that's uh, going down. Well, I suppose a badger set instead of a rabbit, Warren. But that would be going down a rabbit hole. 
yeah uh, yeah um so we're, basically we're like we're like the teacher illuminati um i think is the best way to describe it well i think we destroyed australian education at some point apparently <laughs> we did we cancelled australia didn't even mean to cancel australia it just kind of happened i'm not sure if any australians um, knew that was happening but apparently we did yeah we cancelled australia um yeah, so yeah that's the level of power we have um <laughs> And occasionally, yeah, can't types. get local authorities to do anything, can't get inclusion no. as a starting point rather than as an afterthought. But no, cancelled Australia, yeah. But we, you know, that's that's that's, what it's, that's you know, it's you got to go with your strengths, haven't you? You've got to go with your strengths. <laughs> um, so yeah, so yeah, so there's a secret badger DM group, it's actually a WhatsApp group and a DM group, and then we have conversations across both of them at the same time, they get really confusing, which pretty much well, that used actually. to be our thing on twitter starting tentacles of nonsense generally that confused and annoyed the people involved yeah and then they, then they blocked us and then they unblocked us and da, 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 da. yeah oh the old days before but twitter's got interesting again now oh i said i wasn't going to talk about twitter here we are talking about twitter but it has got interesting with the whole kind of like some of the uh current um what's i'm looking for some of the current preoccupations of edgy twitter right now um yes they have some interesting uh bugbears and well, that just seems obsessed with certain things which seem odd i mean having having taught sex ed too and mm. i mean training to teach sex ed especially these kids um and having taught it to mainstream kids and da, 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 uh, and having taught it to a uh, a deaf child with a communication support worker there communicate and support working with me um yeah have you taught sex ed to like have you been part of that process yeah yeah it's probably one of my not one of my favorites i don't know maybe it is one of my favorites um i enjoy it i enjoyed it when i did it for mainstream uh, and i did it as a csw uh before so i was in a class full of people and the majority of sexual science definitely especially with BSL. BSL is not a language of sort of euphemism and you indirectness. No, um, no. It is generally direct and it's kind of built into deaf culture, a culture of directness. There's not that people are rude, but there's not kind of unnecessary no pleasantries. Yeah, there's no small words. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to, and also things that are considered rude in the hearing world aren't considered rude in the deaf world. You know, if you want to describe someone, you wouldn't sort of David Dimbleby mention everything else except their defining characteristic which sets them apart from everyone else and it's quite clear but you're worried someone will think you'd be rude if you wanted to say oh yeah you know karen spotty woman on reception it's not yes. being mean about her spots but you know exactly who i mean so it's effective communication yeah um, um but so yours, the your... sexual signs are well even if you don't know sign language you can figure out what they mean um and doing that in a class of i think it was year seven where I was at the front uh, signing what the teacher was doing, I think the kids were more interested in me than they were in the mainstream teacher, just to see what I would sign next. Yes, and we did, uh, yeah, we did, we did, yeah. It's an interesting experience having someone, I mean, I've got a very straight face and I have a very unemotive face. Um, and I almost, and so I was there teaching sex ed to this deaf child um, with the, communication support worker and I was just like I don't really have emotions about things so I just got on with it um 
but yeah, I think the, the other two people in the room were just a bit like, oh my God, what's the time for this one? Oh my God. Um, but such is the way of things. But at no mm. point did we, did we touch upon anything that is currently uh, being discussed in Twitter right now about sex ed, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, Although, yeah. it, it, <laughs> this has reminded me of a couple of stories, one of which was another teacher that I used to work with, um, who was deaf herself, must have been teaching, maybe she was teaching digestion or something, but it could, it could well have been sex ed. Um, and we spent 10 minutes at break time because she was saying anal, but she was saying anal. Um, uh. And so, <laughs> and she was like, no, help me, help me get this right. So we spent 10 minutes trying to get it. Well, it's like the same, uh, same vowel sound as in your name. And it was just us saying anal for about 10 minutes at break time. But, yeah. People don't, yeah, and people don't get how much pre-teaching there needs to be as a teacher of deaf or communication support worker to... Well, also, true for a lot of kids, particularly SEN and particularly deaf, because there isn't as much incidental learning, uh, there's not necessarily the whispered things in the playground, um, and it's quite likely they won't get it at home, or there might be an attempt, but it wouldn't be very successful because of communication barriers. It's one of the most important things we teach is the kind of wider life stuff because they need it and they're not going to get it anywhere else. Most of the information that is online is not accessible. That has got better recently with certain charities and organizations doing stuff, um, but they it's something they really need. Yeah, and it's really important to get it right. Um, you know, no matter how much interested individuals on Twitter proclaim that mm. sex ed is is the uh, is the realms of parents alone. It's like mm, absolutely not. No, I mean you know I don't think I've ever discussed sex with my parents. Um, and the closest I came ever was an awkward conversation when I was about nineteen, where my dad went, "Son, you know you spent university." I'm like, "Yeah, if you know if anything ever happens." We'll, uh, we'll raise a baby for you. I was like, okay. <laughs> Thanks. That's a very nice offer. <laughs> Thanks. I was just like, I, okay. I, I honestly don't know what to say at this point. Thank you. And I just kind of left yeah. the room. Not the turn I would have anticipated that conversation taking, but thanks, Dad. No. That was it. That's the entirety of my conversation with my parents about sex. That was it. Mm. But again, I had a conversation recently with a kid. Um, he'd asked the question about periods um so i whipped up some visuals we talked through it all and then he's like god this is so embarrassing it's like why do we have to do this in school I'm like well would you rather talk to me about this or talk to your mum about this i know you might not like either option but those are your two options who would you rather it be it's like okay you you are better than mum like, yes that's why we do it yeah you know yes totally it's just ah but yeah it seems to be a little bit of trend this is kind of weird current culture war to bear in mind the government's only just recently published the SRE guidance mm. and it's their guidance and it's their thing that they have done suddenly they seem shocked by what they have done and what yeah. is in the stuff that they have produced well it's not like sex ed hasn't been around for a while I was taught yeah. sex ed in school quite well I think um there wasn't a how-to guide on anal sex, but it was mentioned as a thing that people do. It was mentioned there are yeah. higher risks of certain things, there are other things you need to be mindful of, etc., etc. 
Oh, you see, I, I had sex ed in year eight in a Catholic boys' school. I mean, 93? I feel it'd be 93. Um, and I remember the teacher saying, at this point, I'm legally obliged to tell you about contraception. Uh, I think it's morally wrong, but I'm legally obliged to tell you about it. And then proceeded to tell us about contraception. It's like, okay. Right. So that was there. So here it is, but if you use it, you will burn in the hellfire. Yeah, we well, didn't mention hell. You just mentioned it'd be morally wrong. And I was just like, okay, I don't know why it's morally wrong. And in my head I was going, but you're not even Catholic. I know you're not Catholic. I know, you're, I know you are like Protestant. But anyway, um, and that was my fixation upon like, but you're Protestant. I'm pretty sure Protestants use uh, condoms. But anyway, um, oh. I was quite naive at the time. Of course I was. <laughs> um, bless me, innocent little me. Um, so we've kind of covered like um, what a teacher death is. Um, and we've covered it, we've covered some of the EHPs. Um, do you have any particularly funny stories from being a teacher of the deaf? Oh, God, lots. Um, that's one of the, it's the same from uh, like my mainstream teaching now and before working with SEN kids. They're normally the best and the funniest, um, and mm. particularly because deaf kids tend to be quite direct. Um, and also seemingly less embarrassed by certain things if you're not embarrassed because you just present them as fact. This is a yeah. conversation we're having that isn't embarrassing. Um, I remember some girls I have now who are in year 10 when I had them in year 7 when I was a CSW before. We spent our lunch break talking about dog periods because both their dogs were on their period and their mums were annoyed because they were bleeding on the floor and then the dogs had nappies and then led to a good discussion about periods and that is happening or will happen to you at some point in the not too distant future, etc., etc. Or kind of again on the sex theme, I was at a different school when I was a CSW. I was with a uh, year 11 boy uh, in his GCSE drama, and they were watching the year 13 A level kind of pieces that were going to be assessed. Um, and because, of course, it's A level drama, it is all sex, drugs, prostitution, and swearing. Um, yeah. But I didn't know the sign for prostitute because it hadn't come up and been important by that point. So I had to explain the concept, like, what is the sign for prostitute? Um, because he was a native, fluent BSL user. Um, but yeah, I was signing along for this effing and blinding, every wonderful thing you can imagine under the sun. Um, he just thought it was fine. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the sign for prostitute. What is the sign for prostitute? There's a few. Um, I might be adding on what well, my interpretation of why the sign is the sign may not be why the sign is the sign, but there's one that kind of looks like you're swinging your knickers around a bit. Um, right. There's one where you uh, kind of have one hand with your fingers splayed and then run a finger across them, sort of implying you're sleeping with lots of different people. Um, there's one that I would assume is due to like Victorian ideas about too much blusher or something, but it sort of implies rouged, rouged cheeks and cheeks. that type yeah. of thing. Um, those are the main ones I can think of. I'm sure there are probably other signs for prostitute, but those are the three that I know. All right. I could, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, when I was like learning my early kind of that, that little bit of BSL I had, what I found most interesting was names, like people's names. So we had, so we had like our teacher, you know, teacher of deaf that she would come in, and the sign for her was like to do her hair. 
same with me. Um, yeah, a lot of them are hair based, it seems. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> but they're. It's, I think it's probably changed slightly, but generally the received kind of wisdom is that you don't pick your name. You are given yeah. your name. Um, and it's either a physical characteristic or a personality trait or like a play on words and things. So I have a friend called Michelle. Uh, and to spell the letter M, it's three fingers on your dominant hand touching the palm of your others because there's three descenders. And they're not descenders, are they? But the three lines yeah. on the letter M. Um, there's a sign for wine, which is like three splayed fingers, and the sign for rose kind of goes across your face, and Michelle loves rosé wine, but from her name, you get all of that. You get letter M and rosé wine. My had, um, yeah, my, the sign for my name was, again, that, that the, the three fingers, but it was against my cheek, against the cheek, and I don't know clear why that was. It was in my stern face, apparently. Um, could be, uh, so mine is my hair, mine is just is a quiff. Just a quiff, mm -hmm. ah, yes. Though yeah, I did I, meet someone yeah. who had the same sign name as me but was completely bald. But when he had hair, he had a quiff. Right. Uh, and the right. name you can't, some kids can't sometimes go through different sign names, but generally, once you're an adult, you're stuck with it. And you two Kirsties, one of whom. Her name was cursed tea, as in tea the drink, because she loved tea. One uh, featured cold sores as part of her sign name because she got a lot oh, of wow. cold sores. And that was, but it would have been people talking about it, going, oh, you know Kirsty. Oh, no, not Kirsty tea, Kirsty with the cold sores. And they go, oh, yeah, I know Kirsty, and it's sign cold sores. And then that just became how she was referred to. Oh, these things happen, don't they? Yeah, um... yeah I feel like I got off lightly with mine. Yeah, I think of like with mine as well, kind of like the yeah, it's but it's yeah, it's in, it's always interesting teaching those with additional needs. Um, so running back to where we were a while ago, the idea of inclusion, what would mm. be your? How do you think mainstream teachers can get inclusion right? Because if you can answer this question, by the way, <laughs> you know that'd be amazing. Because I've, I've been I've been fighting with that question for like a while now. Um, so yeah, how can a mainstream teacher get inclusion? I think a lot of inclusion is an extension of what you're attempting to do as a teacher anyway. It's in essence, know the children you're teaching and meet them where they are. That's just more difficult if you've got additional needs because there might be a load of things that you don't know about them. Um, but it is know what your kids know and don't know and the things that are I find difficult the barriers they're going to face and remove them where possible. Um, particularly for deaf kids, it would be explicit uh, instruction of vocabulary, lots of repetition with vocabulary because it will be brand new to them. Um, lots of visuals to support linking things to concrete. Some deaf kids really struggle with abstract concepts, particularly if they have a language delay because they haven't even got a lot of concrete vocabulary, so let alone an abstract concept that they can't relate to anything else um, can be quite tricky. So visuals are good, good visuals, not kind of some of the nonsense dual coding that isn't dual coding and isn't very good. Yes. But good visuals that support understanding. Um, and then there's just kind of the basic deaf awareness. They need to be able to see your face. 
they need to be able to see it clearly, which means you need to be facing them from one position, not standing in front of a light source. So don't stand in front of a window. You want the light on you, not behind you. Um, don't speak weirdly. You don't need to be particularly louder or slower. Just making a vague effort to be clear. And that would be, that would do a lot of it. And also just kind of factoring it into your planning. So if you have this great clip that you show and you've shown for years and it doesn't have subtitles, I mean, if you're in my school, you can email it to me and I will write subtitles for it. Um, wow, that's, or, that's pretty. Or if you just assume that the automatic captions will do, they won't. Um, no. Because A, they're inaccurate a good chunk of the time, but also they're not well formatted. So I think there's sometimes the idea that, oh, it has automatic captions, it's fine, it has captions. But yes, but the kids that are trying to read them have significantly delayed language. And even as a fluent adult reader, I'm having to figure out what the caption means. So it's going to be meaningless to them. Um, but lots of teachers do it right. Um, I walked into, I think it was an RS lesson the other week. Um, and the teacher was using the, they must have got it from iPlayer, but the version of whatever it was they were showing that had the InVision interpreter. Oh, yeah. Why not do that? Great. That's a great idea. Um, yeah. And again, with lots of those things, if a teacher can't find it, like, I don't know where to look for those things. I'm like, tell me what you want. I almost guarantee I will be able to find you by hook or by crook, a version with subtitles, or if it's ever been interpreted on TV, I can probably find that. Um, and I will have that. For, well, I'll have it for the next time you teach it. It won't do you any good now. Um, but what should inclusion look like? Yeah, it's... I think it just is knowing who is in front of you. That's it. Yeah. If you know, and then you know enough about what they need, just... And it should be when you're planning, rather than, I've done my lesson, ah, now, how do I make it accessible? Well, then you can't. You're shoehorning in a few um, sort of patches and band-aids rather than designing it to be accessible. Yeah, and that's what, what I find interesting. What you said, just everything you said then was like a lot of the, in fact, nearly all the strategies you mentioned would work for any child. Yep. And um, even I, you know, not hearing impaired, I quite like watching TV with subtitles on. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I just do. Um, yeah. Um, loads of people do. I mean, it's huge on social media because uh, a lot of people will be like watching a video on a bus, but without the audio. So social yeah. media tends to be better. But then there are also weird things that people do where they'll make the captions won't be proper captions. So there'll be like jokes included in the captions that aren't in the audio, which can be confusing. Or they'll yeah. do stupid things with alt text for images rather than having a proper alt text. Um, but yeah, because of the wave of TikTok and Snapchat and all of that, there, there does seem to be, and certain platforms like Netflix, I believe everything is subtitled on Netflix. Um, yeah, I think so. Apart, apart from, see, because I got Ukrainian living with me, so whenever the, whenever I, the one of the Ukrainian girls watch TV with us, we, we put Ukrainian um, subtitles on, which is quite helpful. Mm. Um, and again, if something is, if you have a resource that is properly subtitled in English, auto-translate is not perfect, 
but it is better than nothing. And if you've got decent yeah. subtitles yeah. to begin with, uh, YouTube and everything else can auto-translate them to other languages, which is great for people who need it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, oh, oh we should mention, we sort of talk about assistive, assistive technology. I think assistive technology, I've never got my head properly around it, but there is hmm. so much technology out there. Yeah, like... and that's a big part of being a teacher of the deaf is obviously you don't pick the kids you get and they will come with a variety of um, hearing devices um, which you need to know about, you need to know how to fix, you need to know how to assess, um, which will connect to a variety of what we call ALDs, assistive listening devices. They used to be called radio aids, but they don't actually yes. use radio waves, so we're attempting to phase that out. Um, but and all that kit is quite expensive. So like the NHS will pay for hearing aids and cochlears, and a pair of hearing yeah. aids is probably about three grand a pair. Cochlears plus surgery are in tens of thousands. Um, yeah. But even the school would have to pay generally for a thing per hearing aid or per cochlear implant to receive something from an AOD. Uh, and the AOD itself, and that's kind of generally two grand a kid. Oof. Uh, and if kids lose them or break them, that yeah, then becomes an issue. And yeah. there used to be, the receivers used to be physical bits that you would connect to the hearing aid or connect to the cochlear implant. For the newer hearing aids, it's actually just a license for the software. So the hearing aids already have it all built in, but specifically to use it with AODs that you use at school or at work, you have to buy the software license and transfer it onto the hearing aid. Um, which feels slightly money grabbing because the technology is already oh, there. Yeah, feels, yeah, that feels a bit. So this reminds me of, of a guy I know, and he basically want some part of his car stopped working, and he was like, he rang up to say, just this part of my radio stopped working, some part of the car, and they were like, oh yeah, your license has expired on the um, on the software, yeah. so that part of the car stopped working, and he had to renew it, and I was just like, see, so the car was working, the car was actually fine. It's just you hadn't paid for that bit of software. That was yeah. in there. There was no problem. It's just getting money. Um, but particularly with the software licenses, because it isn't costing us more than it used to, it's just it didn't have to cost us anything now. But because there is no physical thing, uh, because generally kids take off their receivers when they leave school because they're not going to use yeah. them at home, because the Bluetooth features and things that are built into newer hearing aids, you don't have to pay for them. It's only the stuff that you use for school or work that you do. Um, but because there's now no physical component, they're on the hearing aids the whole time. The kid loses their hearing aid. A, the NHS has got to fork out a grand or two for a new hearing aid, but we have to fork out another 600 quid, 800 quid for the software license that went with the hearing aid. Oh, would not make more sense. I mean, once I'm kind of like a bit of a, oh, not happy with the whole kind of like capitalist exercise around the hearing aids, would not make more sense. I bought a license for a year. Mm -hmm. So if they lose mm. it, their hearing aid two days yeah. later, I still bought the license not attached to the hearing aid. It would make more sense. For example, my resource provision has a capacity of 24. We wouldn't need 24 licenses because different kids have different things, so there wouldn't be that many. But we could just buy a set number per year. It wouldn't matter if the kid lost it. But yeah, And we still actually have to buy the... It's not even really a license. We have to buy the physical thing that doesn't fit on their hearing aid, a separate bit of kit which we put the hearing aid and the other thing on, and it transfers the license from the physical device onto the hearing aid. Um, so, yeah, it's per 
hearing device or hearing aid, and if they lose them, uh, which generally they're better at in secondary school, but I do have one kid who has gone through a few and the NHS are sort of at the point of saying, if you lose any more hearing aids, we're not giving you the new ones because you've cost us 10 grand already. We will give you an old one. We've got nothing around. Yeah, I'm still, I'm actually quite irritated by the whole licensing thing. Yeah. That is. Um, because I remember when I left my current school before and went off and did my PGC in English training, they were still the physical devices. And it took me a good, a bit, it confused me when I got back because we said, like, oh no, we've lost them. Like, no, but it's just a software license, so we haven't lost it. And like, no, 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 it is because it's not physically on the hearing aid, but the license is transferred. The physical thing we now have is useless and won't work because the license has been transferred off it and they built it that way. Which so, perplexed me for yeah. a while. Yeah, it's perplexing me now, and I think it's just. Oh, just build again. Is society not set up to be truly inclusive? Mm. It's like just build a darn thing so, that, so everything works together without needing the software. Mm. And it is cleverly done because the reason why you don't pay for Bluetooth and the other things is because the hearing, the NHS generally use Phonak hearing aids. Certainly in all the places I've worked, they're always almost always the ones you get. They're a multinational, they sell across the world. Um, and often to private buyers, um, so people who aren't being funded by their government, but they're buying them themselves. So having the cool Bluetooth feature is a selling point, but then they know if they're in education, well, now we can charge for that because it's not going to stop anyone from buying that hearing aid. <coughs> Excuse me, but it is a way we can extract some more money. Ugh. That's just... Oh, or, do you want an even better one? I've got a kid who has oh, cochlear implants. The previous version of the cochlear implants they had had a physical button on it because you can switch between channels. So if you have a device at home which hooks up to your TV, you can hook into that so you get direct sound from the TV into your cochlears. Likewise, when they're at school, they can swap to, well, their thing doesn't work with the other stuff we have, but a different uh, ALD, a different assistive listening device. Um, but and they can, but they took the button away. It has a touch button, but that's only to turn it on and off. You can switch channels yeah. using your phone, which is fine, except to have an account, you must be over 13. So, but your parent can set up an account and do that. Um, but if you've got parents who, for whatever reason, don't have a smartphone, haven't got great English, cannot set up an account themselves to enable their child to set up an account so that they can change the channel, um, there's no way they can change the channel unless we buy a £250 remote which has one button on it and all it does is change the channel and it's a feature that was already in the previous version that they took out in the newer version and added a cost. So thank you Cochlear for that because it was them who did it. They're not the only ones, they kind of all do it, but yes. Yeah, it's just, again, we live in an enabler society um, and sometimes the people worst off in our able society end up paying more money for things. Or, um, or yeah. even when things are government funded, like access to work is a big thing for deaf people as adults because it will fund interpreters, it will fund assistive listening devices, all those kind of things. Anyone who's ever tried to do the paperwork will know it's a ball ache. 
um, all the interpreters who get paid via access to work, who are often freelance, but sometimes work for an agency, can be months before they're paid for work they did. And if they're freelance, they need that money coming in. Yeah. And also people knowing how to work with interpreters, generally quite poor. You know, they yes. need to know the things in advance. They need to know this. You talk to the person you're talking to, not the interpreter. Yeah. And just, yeah, I mean, just saying, tell her this, tell her that. You know, just speak and the interpreter will interpret. Yeah, the interpreters and interpreter, they're not, they're not, they are a conduit of the conversation. Yeah. They are not the person you're talking to. Um, yeah. Yeah, which, just talk. Yeah. I am not in the conversation. I'm just making it accessible to the people involved. Yeah. Um, which is a, whole, is a whole different, like, a whole different conversation right there. Um, I'm going to leave you with, like, a, again, this is um, Miss Dempsey again, which is the conference I went to yesterday. Um, she did some, she has some wonderful kind of, like, made little PowerPoint she did and she said the, the most annoying thing she does she sees is she got you go to a building a brand new building less of a problem for you know all the buildings but and they've got like a um you got the steps got the door to the building and then round the side you have got the disabled entrance with the ramp mm. and wouldn't it make more sense to just not have steps in the first place just have a ramp at the front Oh, I can do you one better than that. So my school oh, wow. building is relatively new, maybe 2010, yeah. maybe a bit before. Um, it's flat on the way in. There were two lifts. Um, before we had some extension work done, the building was pretty accessible. Um, but we have a member of staff who started using a wheelchair. Um, to get in the gate, the gates aren't all... Well, the gates look automatic, but they don't work. So you tap okay. your little pass, and then you have to... Even if you're able-bodied, and well, maybe if you're stronger than I am, it, but it, they're difficult to open. The automatic doors at reception have only just started working. The new suite of classrooms they built, which all have external doors, because um, you sort of, it's kind of a build that's off a gangway, so the, the doors are actually for the outside. They all yeah. open outwards, and they are almost impossible to open if you're able-bodied. If you're in a wheelchair, you can't do it. What's the point of putting the lifts in? Because there's six classrooms that people can't get in. Why did we just build those classrooms two years ago? Why why are they less accessible than the ones we built ten years ago? Yeah. It's that. It is, but they don't so ha, ah, another one I well I heard was um Amazon Amazon Warehouse, you know. Mm. And um and you have to go upstairs. You go into the warehouse and you go up the stairs to the free toilets. Men, men, men women, disabled toilet. There's no lift. So they put mm. in a disabled toilet on on a up a flight of stairs. And it's like, is that anyone is anyone in the world here thinking? But you know, uh Well even uh when I've used accessible toilets and disabled toilets for different things. Almost none of them are compliant with what they're supposed to be. Oh, yeah. That's, that's has a... to touch the floor. That never happens. Yeah. In theory, if you're using a wheelchair, you should be able to turn around and get yourself onto the toilet. But you can't because of the way the building is laid out. Well, they put the world's tiniest sink in there. So when you yes. turn on the tap, a tsunami comes out. 
why 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 are people in uh, accessible toilets getting drenched when no one else is and then you've got the whole kind of height of the toilet as well like mm. height of the um of the sink and it's like that can be quite variable um as well so yeah all these all these problems there are it's a bs british standard there is a british standard for um acoustically designing buildings to be deaf friendly um but then when our new school building was built 10 years ago um and the deaf unit had been there before then a lot of the spaces weren't designed in that way so they had to retrofit things into a lot of spaces to make them compliant with the standard even when we are doing new building work now my colleagues had to remind SLT and the people doing the building by the way all of these new classrooms should conform to BS I don't know what it is whatever the standard number is but you know we're building them now we're not in a Victorian building that we need to retrofit we can get it right from the start as long as you think about it beforehand yeah I think there's a whole whole radio show on like bad school builds um mm. I did that one actually bad school builds and what they tell us about how people who build schools don't know a kids or b at those additional needs yeah um there you go you got those we've got a new build and within like two weeks of moving into it sensorily it was just so many kids start developing anxiety and just sensorily it's just not a great place and it's yeah, like, and again, you could kill six or seven birds with one stone if the building was friendly for deaf people and probably be much nicer who are who are sensitive um, to sensory issues. It would just be better. It would also be easier to hear for everyone. Yeah, let alone um, oh, they've, got, they've got like a massive like central atrium, so like a massive amount of dead space. Yep, so do oh. we. Yep, also <laughs> called an echo chamber. Um, <laughs> We also Which have in the corridors, in the wings, there are sort of, they're corridors, but then there are holes which kind of function as balconies, which A, makes the corridor smaller for no good reason, yeah. also means the kid shouting at the top of their lungs on the first floor can be clearly heard on the second floor for no good reason. Uh, I know a school in Plymouth um, where they thought it would be a really good idea to just have, just to build it with like a massive open plan like room hallway thing and you'd have like four mm. classes in his open plan hallway um that would that, that was great for behavior um yeah i i volunteered in a school that had these sort of flexible magical teaching spaces that were just horrendous and horrendous for behavior yeah it's just you know you just Again, it's just people who just don't understand don't understand kids, don't understand the actual job of teaching, having ideas, haven't got haven't got skin in the game. But you know, yeah, I don't think any of those um, magical new bills with a big open plan things exist anymore. I think they've spent millions putting walls in again, haven't they? Uh, I know they have. The, I know they have the one in Plymouth. Um, so we've kind of like we start off talk about being a teacher of deaf and we've kind of moved on now to like just well how schools get things wrong which is possibly a slightly depressing place to end as we come to the end now if you were going to leave us with like one last thought um what would it be 
Eugene? Yeah. So Can you, I, you cut or I cut out for a second. Um, I've no idea what you just said. Ah, okay. That was fine. I was just saying that we kind of started. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I was just saying that we've kind of come to the end and we started off like talking about what it is to be a teacher of deaf and we've kind of like gradually gone towards things that irritate us about education, which is quite, <laughs> quite perhaps slightly negative or typical place to end up, but such is life. Um, we had a good discussion about inclusion. Other than saying to people, please train to be a teacher of deaf. We need more teachers <laughs> of deaf. Um, is there any one last thought you would like to leave the listeners on? Um, I suppose my main thing would be communicate. Talk to whoever it is you're supposed to be teaching or working with. Ask them, um, which is generally good practice for anyone. But just because I know... Right? Yeah, just because I know that there's a deaf kid coming in, when I first meet them, I will speak and sign at the same time and ask, how do you like to communicate? Do you want me to speak? Do you want me to sign? Do you want me to do both? Um, but ask. Ask the kid what they want. Ask the kid what would help them. Um, listen to the professionals when they tell you things. Don't see it as a chore. And it probably is more work in the transitional period where you're figuring out how to make your lessons accessible. But it will not be to your detriment overall. It will not be to any other kid's detriment. It's not kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. So listen to what the teachers of the deaf or any other specialist you speak to say. They probably have a good reason for saying it, even if it's not clear to you. Um, but particularly just ask the people you're trying to teach. Um, with a lot of mine, especially the ones who are doing well, that's unfair to say they're doing well. They are closer to age-related expectations or they're above them. A lot of my thing is just, you're right, do you want me to reinterpret that? Nope, you get that, you're fine, you're fine with this work, cool, fine. Although, cool. I was going to say now saying that, it's just maybe, for some deaf kids that's perfectly fine. There's also a very big deaf thing. Um, and there was a good comedy sketch. I don't know if you saw the documentary that John Bishop did about learning sign language with his son, because his son is deaf. No. Um, and his son has the... His son, well, his son is deafened. His son... I can't remember quite what the cause was, but it was later on in when he was, I don't know, 14, 15 or something, there was, I don't know, an incident, an infection, uh, and his son became deafened still communicates orally but also the residual hearing he has could disappear at any moment so the pair of them decided to learn sign language um and they did it the right way they involved the deaf community um the son went to go speak to some uh deaf young people who played football um at kind of a deaf event that happens in london every friday and i saw some of my students there not my point. They also, John Bishop also did a show in BSL, uh, or tried to, but had loads of other BSL comics there as well. And one of them did this great bit about, um, you know, deaf just say yes. If you ask a deaf person a question, they will say yes, even if they don't understand the question, because yes ends a conversation, no provokes questions. So if you ask a deaf kid, do you understand, they'll say yes, because they know if they say no, you're going to ask them more questions. You're going to probe them on it. Don't ask them if they understand. Check if they understand. Ask them something that will show you whether they understand or not. Because even if oh. they know they understand, 
they're not going to say, I don't understand. Or they also don't know what they don't know. So they won't tell you they think they understand until you test it and realize actually that you don't. You know what? I have been banging on about the same point for years in education. Like check understanding. Checking for understanding isn't, do you know what you got to do? Yes. That's not the check. Checking for understanding is, okay, what have you got to do? Yeah, tell or me like, what you have to do. Tell me what you have to do, yeah. Um, oh, that, and again, is that kind of like good teaching of those additional needs is good teaching for everyone. Yeah, that's also great for kind of behaviour or everything else. The kid who you know wasn't listening during the uh, explanation, Blob, can you remind us what we all need to do just so we're all clear? No, you can't. Yeah. Okay, let's think about why that is. Yeah. And it's like, you know, a good teacher. I mean, I, you know, I'm on all the time scanning. I'll give him an explanation. I mean, Adam Boxster did a really good kind of like Twitter thing about, um, thread, about the most important thing we teach is getting the kids to, to listen. And I'm like, yeah. yes, it is. And then I think about all those lessons where I haven't been happy with, like, what I've observed for the teachers. And it's like, mm-hmm. and my advice to the teachers always is, when you give an explanation, make sure everyone mm-hmm. is listening to you. Mm-hmm. But... And he's really good on terms of ratio as well, like ratio of yes. participation. Um, like I teach a booster group, which is in essence, there is a nurture English class, and then which is the low prior retainers. And then four of those are withdrawn from some other lesson, and I have them for additional English. Half my time in that lesson is spent saying, Blab, tell me what Blab just said. You don't know. Yeah. Why don't you know? because you were looking that way and not that way. That's why you don't know. Let's get them to repeat it. Wasn't what they said interesting and important? This is why you got to listen. Yeah. It's constantly promoting those active listening skills because, like, the deaf kids can't passively listen. They can't kind yeah. of meh, doodle and listen. Or some can, but by and large, not. But then I also have an autistic kid in that class who, actually, his eye contact, he makes quite a lot of eye contact. But... I know he's listening, even if he looks like he isn't. I will check. Yeah. But it looks different depending on the kid in front of you. Which is another complex question about how do you know they're listening? But that's, I think, another t- another TV show, another radio show. <laughs> um, Alex, it has been wonderful having you on. Um, Thank you for having it me. Been, no, it's been really, really good. Um, I think... It's been really, really, it's just, it's good to talk to other professionals in the game who have a slightly different mm. um, angle of attack. Um, I use far too many metaphors from wrestling. <laughs> um, I do. It's like you got, you got, so, and actually, when I teach as well, I use a lot of metaphors from wrestling mm. or from judo or from boxing, which is, anyway, sorry, trying to do a metaphor that's not to do with combat sports. Um, <laughs> I can't do any. But that's another but yeah, great it's, thing it's, about teaching deaf kids. We have to explicitly teach metaphors and idiom. I had a kid who spoke like Cockney rhyming slang for because we taught it to him. And then every time I'd, oh, I'm just going to go down the apples to my English lesson. And he really oh. got a kick out of it because it was this fun game that he was now in on. Part of, or yeah. Different that, idioms that... that we teach them, they will then shoehorn them into conversations and we'll hear back from other colleagues. But, oh, Blob said this to me the other day. I'm like, they are listening. They are learning. They are listening. They listen to things maybe you don't want to listen to. But, um, yeah. So it's been it's been really good having you on. Actually, really quite interesting talking to you as a 
oh my god metaphor that's not to do with as another teacher sen there we go she's <laughs> not doing a metaphor at all let's just do factual another teacher in sen with a different viewpoint um so maybe you can come on come on next time i'm going to try and get um natalie that's her name i can't remember now i'm really bad at names um from dixon's to come on this show as well and discuss how to do things at dixon's they do things very differently but primarily talk about the that mentality that, that, that like mm. kind of like a total inclusion mentality um yeah which i and think there's is so really... much to say about that even in oh, yeah. teaching there's a load of stuff we didn't touch on which i've all just thought of and is now boiling my blood um uh, well if you is... well if you want to come on next time we can discuss it some more i don't care you know this is just why not let's do a series let's do a series i mean i've done a series of like i've done so far I've done a series of like autistic people talking about autistic things I've done one around like just me and neuro teacher talking about whatever mm. we we're interested in at the time and any HGPs. <laughs> Let's do a, this has become like the SEN hour and a half. Um, yeah. Why not? So, it's so, so, better than half the CPD going on in schools. So why not? Oh my God. It's, it's so much better. Um, so let's leave with, um, let's leave with something along the lines of, uh, I hear Michaela is bringing back kinesthetic learners. Um, leave on that one oh. leave on that note there that's, that's a new big thing that, for london oh great i used to work around the yeah. corner from there so i will watch with interest yeah let's go let's go this just makes stuff up it just makes stuff up and see how it goes cool thank you so much alex i'll have you on again next time whenever next time is and i'm going to press that button am i press the button i press the button you've uh, been listening to teachers talk oh and alex i will catch you on the next badger <laughs> chat when we look at cancelling i don't know What's your cancel next time? Radio. Tune in Peru? live and listen no. back Peru? at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next Let's time on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you, Alex. It's been good. Thank you.